Welcome to a new podcast, Unbecoming. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Hollis Benson. One of the things I so loved about my dad was his openness to new ideas and different viewpoints. It wasn't that he didn't have any views about the world. After all, he was the vice president in charge of academics at a very well-known, very conservative evangelical seminary. But he was still willing to engage, seriously engage, with views he didn't share. That often led him to change his views, or at least be keenly aware that those other viewpoints weren't merely stupid and easily dismissed. Someone who worked in his field once told me that my father reminded him of a liberal seminary professor, someone who constantly displayed an openness to hearing new and different ideas. It was good that he was my father, since I was a kid who asked a lot of questions. I suspect it must have driven my parents a little crazy at times. I wasn't trying to cause trouble, even though I sometimes did. I was just continually curious about things I either didn't understand or else simply didn't make sense to me. I remember heated arguments with my grandmother about all kinds of things, though particularly about points of theology. Only in my mid-twenties did I come to understand why that was. My grandmother was Mabel Montgomery Ellis. Our distant ancestor was Lucy Maud Montgomery, best known as the author of Anne of Green Gables. As a little boy, I would have never thought of reading a girl's book. But when I read about Anne, I realized that she embodied the fiery Montgomery spirit. When Anne Furtz meets Diana, the person who would become her best friend, Diana says, You're a queer girl, Anne. If you know anything about Anne, you'll know that she, too, asked a lot of questions and was constantly looking at the world in ways that were new and creative. During my years in college, I discovered the German philosopher Hans Georg Gadamer. Reading Gadamer's books, I sensed that he had the same kind of openness that my dad displayed. When I finally met him, he was already 89 years old but it was clear that he saw himself as still learning. His first question to me was, So, Herr Benson, tell me about your work. It wasn't him just being polite. He actually wanted to know what I thought because he believed he could learn something from me. One of Gadamer's main themes is how we are shaped by the traditions into which we're born. Of course, Gadamer is adamant that we need to question those traditions, those assumptions that seem so obvious and unquestionable. Gadamer also reminds us that even when we question our traditions, we're using features of that very tradition to question other features. For instance, if you're a thinking person, you've probably criticized your parents in some respects. But most likely, you've used the very values they taught you as the basis of your criticism so that even the criticism has an implicit sense of respect for them. This idea that even when we criticize our tradition, we are showing respect for it, is a theme that will recur over and over in this podcast. While critique is often done in the sense of trashing something or someone, a thoughtful critique is usually aware of its indebtedness to the very thing being criticized. We tend to think of critique and criticism as inherently negative. Yet both words come from the ancient Greek word krinane, which means to investigate, to evaluate, to decide. 
When we investigate by asking questions, we are not necessarily suggesting that something is wrong. In this podcast, I'll be attempting to emulate the ultimate questioner, Socrates. At one point, Socrates says of himself, I am utterly disturbing and I create perplexity. If you're looking for a podcast that keeps you in your silo, reassuringly echoes what you already believe, and never calls your thinking into question, then here's my advice. Find another podcast. My goal is to help you ask questions about everything that you believe. What you'll discover is that your beliefs have been greatly shaped by so many things that you've probably never thought about. But let me add something that's truly important. The reason why we care about beliefs is because they are behind our actions. I'm a very practical guy. One of the reasons Gadamer's thought so appeals to me is that he's acutely aware that our beliefs have consequences for how we live our lives. If we consider certain things to be important, then that greatly determines how we act and who we'll become. You might wonder, why is this podcast called Unbecoming? The reason for that is simple. Although we call ourselves human beings, the reality is that we're all in the state of constantly becoming. To be alive is to evolve. The philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche's motto for his life was, become who you are. You might imagine that Nietzsche thinks that there is something like the essence of each of us that already exists and merely needs to be actualized. But instead, He thinks that who we become is greatly up to us. Of course, the reality is a little more complicated. There's no way you can exchange your parents or your mother tongue or your genes. But that doesn't mean you're trapped in a horror movie in which everything must unfold in some predetermined way. Perhaps, though, I should say a little bit more about who I am so you'll have a better idea of why I ask the questions I ask. I grew up in the heart of American evangelicalism. I've already mentioned that my father was an evangelical academic, and his father was the director of the Sunday school program at what, back in the day, would have been a megachurch. For college, I attended what the New York Times has called the Harvard of evangelicalism. As you can probably guess, I majored in philosophy and found Socrates to be kindred spirit. Yet I also discovered why Athens eventually sentenced Socrates to death. Asking questions often makes it plain that many things considered obvious aren't so obvious at all. While I appreciated my professors, I came to see that many of their answers weren't very convincing. Part of that was because evangelicalism almost always presents itself as the one true form of Christianity. And that leads many evangelicals to conclude that it's either evangelicalism or radical despair. When I read Gadamer, I realized that over in Europe, philosophers were asking different kinds of questions than the ones that were being asked by my professors about questions that really mattered, like what's the point of being alive and what kind of life is worth living? After years of study in Europe, I returned to my little evangelical college with the hope of enlightening students in a way that I wished had been available to me when I was a student. What I discovered was that students loved the kinds of questions I was asking, 
and my classes often had waiting lists. But in terms of the administration, things went more like Socrates in Athens, except they didn't actually kill me. Instead, they quietly canceled me for being queer, both in the sense that Anne was queer and in the sense that word usually means today. Looking back, it's not too hard to see why I didn't fit. After studying with Gadamer, I developed a fascination for Nietzsche, eventually publishing a book on him titled Pious Nietzsche. But if you're thinking, oh, Dr. Benson got fired because he became a godless atheist due to study Nietzsche, that's not quite right. What I discovered in Nietzsche was a critique, yes, a weighing of Christianity in which Nietzsche moves from the German pietism of his youth to what I call his Dionysian pietism. Put another way, Nietzsche argues the whole of Christianity has missed what Jesus is actually about. If you know anything about Nietzsche, you probably know that he wrote a book titled The Antichrist, and most people simply assume that he is against Christianity. But that title is somewhat misleading, for the title in German can be translated into English as The Anti-Christian. What I argued in my book was that Nietzsche saw himself as arguing against Christians, whom he saw as having distorted much of what Jesus taught. As to Jesus, Nietzsche saw himself as very close to what he considered to be Jesus' message, going so far as to write to his friends that Christianity was the highest form of ideal life he had ever known, and that he had never in his heart been malicious toward it. Perhaps you can see why my book on Nietzsche had the potential to upset people on both sides. For faithful Christians, I was arguing that Nietzsche was not against Christianity and Jesus. He was, was arguing instead that Christianity, that as he had encountered it, had little to do with what Jesus taught. Well, I don't agree with every aspect of Nietzsche's interpretation. I believe that he was largely right in regarding the Christian tradition as having misinterpreted what Jesus really taught. On the other hand, I was also arguing that the atheists who take Nietzsche as their hero simply misunderstand his critique of Christianity and what is meant by being an atheist. As it turns out, Nietzsche accuses atheists of being laughable, since they don't realize that atheism is merely an inversion of theism. In other words, theists and atheists are playing the same game. They're just on different sides. Or we could take this even further and more pointedly. Those of us who grew up in the West are so thoroughly Christian that even the godless atheist is still, in terms of basic assumptions and tradition, still very Christian. If you consider yourself to be an atheist but grew up in the Western world, I hate to tell you this, but your thinking is actually much more Christian than you imagine. And if you grew up in evangelicalism, you might need to be reminded that Jesus was all about questioning the reigning orthodoxy of his time, and he ended up getting the same treatment as Socrates. I hope I've said enough to give you an idea of where this podcast is going. I'm not going in the direction of Dan Barker, who is the president of the Freedom from Religion Foundation. Barker wrote a book titled Godless, how an evangelical preacher became one of Americans' leading atheists. And in that book, he attempts to show all the contradictions in the Bible and argue that Christianity is, well, idiotic. 
from my perspective, though, Barker simply gives up fundamentalist Christianity and embraces fundamentalist atheism. That his book has a forward by Richard Dawkins is telling, since I see Dawkins as hopelessly clueless, an atheist who would have been mincemeat under Nietzsche's watchful gaze. Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, is just one bad argument after another. In contrast, I'm trying to be faithful to the Socratic spirit of asking questions, even when it's uncomfortable. To be sure, I'm hoping to strike a balance. There's an old line about what a good sermon should do. Comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. If you've already found yourself quite comfortable and think you've discovered all the truth there is to discover, then this podcast is not for you. If you're just fine in your own little silo, please don't let me disturb you. I'm not trying to be either Fox News or MSN, which largely cater to audiences that merely want to be assured that what they already think is right. Instead, I'm trying to question even myself. I still remember the kids sitting right in front of me on the first day of intro, who said after I'd finished my lecture, well, that was intense. I so wanted to say, well, I expect I will be seeing you again in class, which turned out to be correct. On the other hand, if you're truly interested in engaging in thoughtful critique, then you just might find this podcast interesting. If you find that you're queer in an sense, or even in both senses of the word, then you've come to the right place. My goal is to think about what we put our faith in, whether that's religious, philosophical, scientific, or political in nature. Yes, all of us live by faith, whether that's faith in Jesus, or Plato, or the scientific method, or the Republican Party. I'm Bruce Ellis Benson, and this is On Becoming. Perhaps you'll join me next week. (laughs) 